name is Eva, and I'm the host of the Baltic Startup Mafia podcast. It is podcast as well as Facebook and LinkedIn page for those interested in Baltic startup ecosystem. It is a super easy way to get quick update once in a month. And it is worth to check Baltic Startup Mafia Facebook and LinkedIn page even more often as it is updated daily. In this episode, there will be the most interesting stories that happen on startup scene in Baltics in January 2020. Afterwards, there is an interview with startup founder from Latvia, Pavel Kovalevich, whose startup Juro has just raised $5 million Series A round. So, actually, let's start with this story. Juro has raised a $5 million Series A round led by New York-based Union Square Ventures. They are also the bakers of Twitter, Twilio, Etsy and Kickstarter. Co-founder of Juro, Pavel Kovalevich, said that very rarely happens US to Europe investment in legal tech, and he's very happy to be one of the lucky ones who got this investment. Jura transforms legal contracts from static files into dynamic modular agreements that integrate seamlessly with core business processes like sales and human resources workflows. With a helping hand from machine learning, Juro helps businesses agree on contracts up to 96% faster than using manual processes and gives deep insight into contracts post-signature. Pavel told in an interview a lot of interesting stuff, so you should definitely listen to this podcast till the end. But the other story from Latvia is uh, from the Latvian fintech startup Jeff app. It has raised 150,000 euro to further evolve its Tinder for Loans solution in the Vietnamese market, as well as expand to Indonesia later in 2020. A number of European business angels participated in the Jeff App pre-seed round, the very first company's funding round to date. Launched in the summer of 2019, Jeff is a loan brokerage solution that utilizes alternative data to boost financial inclusion and has its focus set on Southeast Asia with just 30% of the population holding a bank account and even fewer people being included in credit bureaus according to World Bank data. There is a massive gap between Vietnamese in need of financing and banks and lenders currently able to service them. And Vietnam is just one of the many nations in the region facing the challenge of financial inclusion. The users are onboarded to the application via simple chat with Jeff Bot their new best friend for finding great loan offers. Jeff App has recently won the Startup Day competition in Tartu, Estonia, and will soon participate in the global competition of Seedstar Summit because they won the Central and Eastern European Regional Seedstar Summit competition. And as we mentioned Tartu, Estonia, then let's move to Estonia. One great deal in January also for them. Katana, the Tallinn-based smart manufacturing software, has raised $3.9 million to help direct-to-consumer manufacturers scale their businesses. The financing includes $2.2 million from Munich-based seed investor 42Cap, as well as existing investors. It also includes the conversion of a $1.7 million pre-seed convertible note from late 2018 financed by angel investors. For many small or medium manufacturers who choose 
to bypass retailers and wholesalers. It's a struggle to manage the business logistics. The tools available are mainly messy, do-it-yourself spreadsheets or expensive enterprise resource planning software. Katana is an affordable cloud-based solution that helps manage production and inventory. The platform also offers integrations to the most popular tools for e-commerce or small and medium enterprise management. The Estonian startup currently serves hundreds of workshops and factories from such varied industries such as cosmetics, leatherworking, food and beverages. The fresh funding will speed up development of new features and also expand the team with new hires across software development, marketing and sales, customer support and product management. At the very end of January, startup 99Math a Tallinn-based edtech company, has raised $500,000 led by Baltic VC Change Ventures, along with Good Deed Education Fund and Martin Willig, who is the co-founder of the Estonian unicorn company Bolt. The learning platform 99Math is designed to help students between 1st and 6th grades learn and engage with the tricky subject math. And what is even more interesting is the fact that the startup was founded by 19-year-old recent high school graduate Timothy Mi. The app is free to use for both kids and teachers. In fact, over 30,000 elementary students from around the world participate in its esports-style math league called Math Game Days. Students face off in real-time math battles, complete with live viewers. To participate, all that's needed is Wi-Fi connected smartphone or tablet, which means the barriers to entry are low and adoption is widespread. Now let's move to Lithuania. Perfect beginning of the year 2020. During the first days of the new year, startup Eddie Travels announced its first investment, $500,000 in the pre-seed round. Eddie Travels is an artificial intelligence-powered travel assistant designed to simplify the trip planning experience. It is available in the most popular messaging apps such as Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, Telegram, Viber, Line and Slack. Travelers can send both text and voice messages to Eddie Travels and receive the best flight offers in seconds. Since its launch in November 2018, Eddie Travels has attracted over 150,000 users worldwide. The search is powered in partnership with Skyscanner and Emirates Airline. Lithuanian startup GoRamp has attracted an investment of 120,000 euro from venture capital funds startup Wise Guys, Presto Ventures, and business angel Gintautas Lukauskis. GoRamp was founded in 2017, and it offers a real-time logistics platform that connects supply chain members. Its main target is manufacturing and retailing companies that need to cover end-to-end logistics processes and centralize information and documentation exchange within the complete supply chain. The startup calculates the added value of its product by three key indicators, 70, 4 and 20. Up to 70% automated human manual tasks, up to four times faster information exchange across the logistics chain, and up to 20 reduced logistics costs. The new investment in GoRamp will be used to strengthen its position to the Baltic market as well as its expansion in the Polish market. These were the most interesting news stories from January 2020 from Baltic startup ecosystem. Now let's move to the interview.
So Juro is the startup that is located in two countries, Latvia and Great Britain. When we had an interview, we already knew that Brexit will happen. Founder of the Juro, Pavel Kovalevich, shares insights on how he is going to organize the work of the team in the future. And also he will explain why he is so proud about this investment. We could start with uh, you pitching Juro. Yeah. What is Juro? Mm. Juro is the fastest way for you to agree, to agree anything, to agree any business relationship, to agree anything that you normally agree on paper. So what we do is the usual process is you get a document, get a legal document preferably, open it up in Word, you start editing it, you start adding like the proper stuff that you got to have in a contract. Then you might just send it to someone else to look at it. You might as well print it. You might as well like send it somewhere else. God knows what you want to do with it. Probably print it out, sign it with paper, make a photo, send it to someone. So it's a really clunky, uh, really a process that has like crutches. So what we do is we provide our customers with one link and that's it. So you don't need to install any software. You don't need to download anything. You don't need to print out anything don't need to sign with pen and paper, make photos. You just have one link. With that link, you can do everything. You can negotiate, you can leave comments, you can communicate with the other party and ultimately sign. That's it. So it's the fastest way that you can sign anything online. There are a couple of solutions in the market. What's your competitive advantage? I think we started with the, uh, with the user, with the person who actually uses the software and with the person who actually has to agree something in mind. And I think this user centricity, this human centered design, that that's like a really big part of uh, our core idea of the way we, we operate. And I think that's essentially the probably one of the biggest uh, differentiating factors that we have. So we don't sell top down into large enterprises, which was the really the, the standard way that the software has been sold for quite a while. So uh, we're on this bandwagon of uh, consumerization of B2B software. So we, we are consumerizing the software that's usually used by big corporations, by, by firms. We make it really easy to use. You don't need to really have an onboarding or anything like that training. Like We don't do that. So you can start using it straight away. That's one part of it. Uh, the second part is that we structure your data so your data doesn't get lost. So normally what would happen is you would sign something and that document, that agreement, that documented agreement will live probably in a drawer or somewhere, like in an archive. Uh, with us, you have all the access to, to all of your data. So for example, when uh, your contract is going to renew, you can check that out pretty much uh, with these, you don't have to look anything up. You can set reminders for very important dates that you have. So all of the data that you usually normally would store in multiple different systems, that gets stored in one place. So it's a master system for uh, agreements that you have across the business. So uh, all of the types of the agreements that you want to document, you have access to them in one place. Really easy, straightforward. How would you describe your client? Um, it's a really good question because we're focusing more on, um, on, on the human aspect of, of people who use Jura. So in that sense, we don't have a very classical, ideal customer profile. So it's much more about uh, people who are 
champions, people who want to work collaboratively, people who want to build a trusting, long-lasting relationship with the other party, and people from a very specific uh, business category. So, for example, people who have a lot of contracts happening, they will most probably get more usage and more value from Jura just because of the automation piece. It's much easier to do a clunky process when you just have one contract to sign. It becomes a different matter when that's 100 contracts, 200 contracts. So a business, business that is growing, uh, that's probably someone who would benefit from Jura mostly. A business that is forward-looking, that is building a community of trust is also someone who would uh, uh, get a lot of usage. Kind of a couple of good examples that, for example, the Baltics knows quite well is Vault, for example. They, they are one of our first customers. Uh, they're still with us and we're essentially borrowing contracts for them uh, throughout the whole world. So starting from Finland uh, till Japan and across, across the world, yeah. We are talking a lot currently about artificial intelligence, that it is taking uh, jobs away. What does uh, artificial intelligence does in your software? Uh, it's a good one. So there, there's a lot of hype in artificial intelligence, machine learning, just because it's such a great topic to talk about, right? Everyone gets super excited. We have Elon Musk, who is just pitching it every second week. Um, I think for us, it's much more of a, it has a much more utilitarian um, aspect to it. So we're not trying to build uh, robots that will do everything. So it's a much more of a help to people who use Jura than a replacement for actual human, human work. So as an example, we can automatically detect dates and store them for you. So you don't have to manually type in dates and then remember them and then store them in an Excel. So Jura automatically figures out which are the dates that are more most important for you in your uh, agreements. That that's the aspect we're looking for. Really utilitarian. Really bringing a little bit of magic, a little bit of of automation. And most of the challenges I think that we focus on are essentially unstructured problems with detection or classification, right? So something that is usually written in, in words, natural language. So we tend to use a lot of machine learning to parse that and, and get some structured data of that from that unstructured piece of text. Okay, so $5 million, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot for Baltics. Can you describe your path there? How complicated it is to, well, to raise this amount of money? It's a, it's a hard one. I think it, it's definitely a relative amount. So some businesses raise uh, much more, some businesses raise less. Uh, I think like for us, it's a huge milestone because one, it's a confirmation of the strategy that we have. It's a confirmation of our belief. Uh, and the confirmation comes from uh, essentially two sides. One, the most important one, is our customers. So we're growing, we're getting more and more customers on board, we're serving more customers, we're helping people close more agreements, helping them access them much easier. And the second part of this confirmation comes from uh, our investors. So I think it's not, for us, it's not just the, the 5 million, it's also where did we get them from. And it's really unusual in the way that a US investment firm, especially USV, it's really unusual for that 
type of company to lead around the Series A round in a European company. We have the, the advantage of uh, essentially having the company in two places. So we have the commercial uh, part of the company based in London. So everything that deals with sales, marketing, uh, content, all of the legal matters that happens in London. All of the things that deal with the PDE, so product design and engineering, that happens in Riga. And I think that's where we kind of would tend to look for where we can get most of the value. So I think that historically we have a situation where UK is essentially very good at, at the commercial bit. So they have a lot of talent in, in the sales area. They have a lot of talent in uh, marketing, especially marketing for B2B SaaS software. Um, it's much less so in the Baltics. So there are not a lot of just pure SaaS B2B companies here. So the talent pool is much smaller, but we have a, an amazing technical talent pool. So we tend to uh, focus these two offices on the respective uh, kind of really strong points that, that we can get. I, I think that's a lot of hard work, an amazing team, uh, and just ex execution on the vision. That was our path. And uh, it's uh, again, it's a stepping stone. So with every with every fundraise, we uh, kind of we were lucky enough to have really good partners. So starting with Seedcamp, who supported us from uh, day one, following up with uh, amazing investors, Point uh, Nine Capital from from Germany, and now USV. So all of those uh, are amazing partners, really, for us. And we also have a couple of. Um, uh, really strong believers um, in the face of, of angel investors. So, for example, we have David uh, Hinrichus, who is the CEO of uh, uh, Chairman of, of Transferwise, uh, who is our angel investor, uh, Paul Foster, who was the founder of uh, Indeed.com, so a couple of others. So those are really, really, really strong, strong partners who helped us uh, on our way to essentially getting USB to lead the round. Obviously now USB. How will you use this money? So I think we first and foremost we're we're going to concentrate on uh, continue building on this vision of of creating uh, the best category and class uh, software for a green contract. So that means investing really heavily in building up the the product design and engineering team in Riga. And obviously as we grow and as we create a better and better version of Jura, we will be investing in going into new markets, building up a really strong marketing team, building up a really strong sales team, uh, and essentially expanding ultimately in the US and doing maybe some field sales there. Now, when we are recording this podcast, we already know that Brexit will happen, definitely. You have a part of the team in Riga, part of the team in the UK. You will be on two sides soon. How will you plan to organize it? I, I think we're not alone. There are a lot of other businesses that face the same challenge. And uh, we're, we're not only, we're in a situation where it's not just the, the business in, is in two countries. We have two co-founders, so me and my co-founder Richard, who is actually a British national. So essentially, we tend to um, be in a, a little bit of a reactive situation. So we really, we don't have the resources to change anything. We don't have the resources or the focus to really make a significant difference in the whole Brexit situation. But what we can do is be really flexible. As we're still small, 
uh, we're just going to have to solve that by either working uh, cross, cross borders in a, in a very remote fashion. And we have quite a lot of experience doing that already. So we've been operating with this uh, almost distributed team for the last, well, pretty much from day zero. And I think it hasn't been that hard for us, but I can see how for a bigger company, which is less flexible than we are, that becomes a problem. Can you give some tips on working in two countries? How do you organize your everyday communication and, and work together? It depends on, on a personal uh, level what works for people. I think that's the only answer. There's no there's no pattern. There's no rule book. Uh, I think it's mostly being just human, just really good, really a good team, talking a lot, sharing a lot. I think transparency is a big uh, becomes a big big thing where you trust the other team to do well. So I think if you have those uh, those core base layer working well, uh, everything else becomes much less uh, of an issue. If you have low level of trust in, in, in a team or between teams, you got to just do more communication. You got to over communicate. Uh, if you have high levels of trust, you can still operate in a remote fashion and you don't have to communicate that much. But it's still probably for me personally, I do probably calls at least twice a day uh, with the team in London, and the same goes the other way around. And there's pretty much a lots and lots of uh, communication happening in Slack. So kind of this asynchronous uh, comms, uh, tiny Slack messages, specific channels dedicated to different functions. So yeah, but still, phone, Slack, those two hangouts, Zoom, those guys are our friends. And uh, there's another very important aspect that we tend to really follow through is to keep getting the whole team in one place as much as possible. So, for example, we had almost the whole London team visiting Riga. So it was a little bit crowded with this. It was super fun because normally people don't know who is the other person, who is the person behind the avatar in, in Slack. So getting people in the same room uh, is hugely beneficial. So we do quite a lot of travel between countries, even if it doesn't feel that super productive. It still is very good for uh, communication, just the software side of the business. And what we also tend to do is we do all company meetups a couple of times a year. And that's super, super fun because the whole company goes to a new location uh, two, three times a year. So we were to last couple of times to Barcelona, uh, Lisbon, uh, Berlin. So we kind of tend to just have fun, have a week of uh, a little bit less formal communication, get to know the other part of the team, talk about our plans, exchange ideas, so on and so forth. So that helped a lot too. So there is a there is a process underneath, uh, but it's much more about just uh, keeping communication, keeping high levels of trust, uh, keeping communication flowing. What's the reason behind the decision to keep both teams, like in uh, in both countries, not to moving to to just one that would be easier? Um, that definitely would be easier. Keeping the team remotely is uh, quite a bit of work. Um, I think we we might still move the team into one location as we as we grow, but I think we will keep multiple locations as a lot of uh, companies do nowadays. Um, it's it's about I think one really important part is about following the talent. So talent is actually evenly distributed throughout the world. 
So if a company selects one location, then they, one, they limit the amount of talent available to them. So we don't want to do that. We want to follow the talent. And that's actually coming back to my previous point. We see a lot of commercial talent being in London and we see a lot of uh, technical talent being in, in, in the Baltics, in Riga. And that's where, um, kind of one, historically we were uh, placed in Riga and London and then kind of it makes sense because uh, the talent here uh, is kind of available to us. We have a good network. Uh, we can get great talent on board. And same goes for, uh, for the team in the UK. So we can get great, amazing sales talent there and they're happy and everything works fine because we, we kind of optimize for, for people, essentially. So in spite of the talks that we lack talent, you still say that we have uh, a lot of amazing people I, I, whew, absolutely. Lack of talent is a, is a myth. There is, again, talent is evenly distributed. What is not evenly distributed is the, is the opportunity. And then, so you can suggest to startups considering Baltics uh, to move here, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's a great way. And uh, we can see that, for example, Estonia is probably the best uh, kind of uh, case for this uh, to look at. Uh, they have multiple unicorns, despite being like a tiny, tiny country. So, like, I would guess that per capita they're like in top five of the world. So, unicorns per capita or startups, uh, successful startups per capita, because it's such a small country. But uh, ultimately, that proves that uh, even a small country can attract talent. And actually, one of the ways um, uh, the Baltics can do attract talent is a very nice balance of uh, cost of living, expenses, and then what you get for that. So the level of, uh, of life here is relatively uh, good to the level of expenses you, you pay for it. So again, it's probably not for everyone, but there's definitely, uh, there's definitely a pool happening for tech talent. Coming back to the Juro, what's your next milestones? We have multiple. So we have uh, milestones that are more uh, kind of visionary and are like more remote from today's kind of situation. And we have a very, very practical things that are probably very narrowly defined. So we, we tend to, in terms of when we set our goals, when we, when we set like really milestones for the team, we tend to look at, at our customers. That's ultimately it. So we do a lot of work with identifying what is actually happening with our customers and then listening to that and then executing on what we hear as best as we can. So those are the tiny, tiny uh, milestones that we have. And essentially it all boils down how we move that into the market. So how, how do we execute on, on that product, on that vision that we're creating? And that uh, boils down for a SaaS company and for us too into MRR. So without going into specific details, the goal is to at least uh, triple the revenue that we had last year. So grow the company at, at least three, three times. Great. I wish you the luck Thanks. as it, as Thanks, it really Sarah. helps and also yeah. uh, really strength to, to, to go for it and, and, and uh, to achieve your goals. Thanks. So thank you for your time and, and I wish you all the best. Thanks, everyone. That's it for this time. Thank you guys for listening. It was Baltic Startup Mafia podcast. Check out Baltic Startup Mafia podcast, LinkedIn and Facebook 
pages for regular updates and uh, talk to you soon. Bye.